0: The midwest crime files is a true crimes podcast in it we discuss heinous crimes and how they're committed your discretion is advised welcome to this crime welcome
1: to the midwest crime files i'm your host gina and I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that change them forever. Chris keeps trying to steal my lines, guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I continue to keep sucking at it, too.
1: <laughs> so today's story is one in which I have been in contact with the victim's family. And this story was written and... um collaborated with a member of the victim's family. So I want wanted to start off um, with that and let you guys know that, um, you know, this family wants the story to be told from a truth perspective. And you'll understand why as we get into it, um, because there's a lot of allegations that went flying and victim blaming and things like that. So um, when I first learned about this story, It was on a television program. And I was pretty upset, actually, because I thought it was pretty obvious that the victim blaming was sort of ridiculous. Um, But apparently a lot of people bought it. And so that's what kind of inspired me to write this story. So then when I reached out to the family, they had the same feelings about the television episode, that it was very much victim blaming and really wasn't the whole story. So, well,
0: and that's something that we've seen in a lot of our stories where, you know, you get one side from the family or from the news media and all these, you know, true crime shows that just, they did, you know, they want a good story, you know, and they, they don't care what the hell it says, you know, but when you get down to the meat and potatoes of it, it's like, wow, that's not exactly how that shit happened anyway. Right. So why the hell? Like, so you're just broadcasting bullshit.
1: Right. So, you know, That is what inspired me to cover this story because I wanted to do the research and find out if there were any truth to these like accusations that were made, and I could not find a shred of evidence to support them. I think it was just somebody that wanted to mitigate responsibility for a murder. And so, without further ado, this is the story of a wife's betrayal, the James Nibby story. On August 31st, 2010, Jennifer Nibby made a 911 call to report that an intruder was in her home. She told authorities that the intruder cut her with a knife and shot her husband. James Mervyn Nibby, who was just 26 years old, was dead. Jennifer and her teenage son appeared shaken and disturbed. Jennifer told authorities the intruder had a stocking over his head, so she couldn't really provide much of a description. Police were suspicious from the start. This didn't add up. So I'm going to be the first to tell you, anytime someone says it's an intruder that kills one person and...
0: Spares another one? Yeah, like... And that's instantly like, okay, so you did it and you're just making a cover story.
1: I mean, I'm not going to say that that's always 100% of the time the case, but I think it would be suspicious for anybody to, you know, to believe that an intruder would come in and kill one person and leave another person with extremely minor injuries. Right. James Nibby, who was known as Jim to his family, was born on October 30th, 1983. He was a 2002 graduate of Lake Crystal Welcome Memorial High School. He grew up with his parents and siblings in Vernon Center, Minnesota. He was a member of the FFA, Ducks Unlimited, Lake Crystal Chapter, Garden City and Gud Club, and the Minnesota Pheasants Incorporated Blue Earth County Chapter. He loved to fish, hunt, and enjoy everything outdoors.
0: Sounds like my kind of people.
1: (laughs) There's a picture of him on our blog post, too. And he's decked out in his hunting gear. It looks like he has a turkey. Um, You know, and that just, that's who he was. You know, you're you're kind of country, rural, hunting, um, good old boy, for lack of better words. Yeah. Jennifer Gilman also grew up in rural Minnesota. She was six years older than Jim. She was born in 1977. She had been pretty and popular when she was in high school, and then she became pregnant at age 16. Jennifer was determined to be a successful mother. She gave birth to her son and set out to be the best mom that she could. She was dedicated to providing him a future, and so she pursued a degree in nursing. Now, you guys know that I'm a nurse, so I always, you know, find it admir- admirable when, you know, people go to nursing school after they have children because nursing school is one of the hardest programs. Yeah,
0: it's one of the hardest programs to get through, and then to be a mother on top of that. Right. Like, that's ridiculously time-consuming.
1: Right. Right. So, I mean, props to her. That's, that's pretty awesome. Um, she eventually was able to purchase a home and land in rural Blue Earth County, Minnesota. So, she really, I mean, did pretty well for herself.
0: That's what it sounds like.
1: Her dedication to her son and her career, though, didn't leave her a whole lot of time for dating. But in 2007, she met 24-year-old Jim Nibby. He was helping a friend who was having a medical crisis, and Jennifer was one of the responding emergency personnel. The two started to date and found they both enjoyed hunting and spending time with each other. Before long, Jim was in love and decided to propose to Jennifer. Before he proposed, though, he asked for her son's permission.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yes. And her son granted that permission. Jennifer said yes, and the two were married in May of 2008.
0: That's so sweet.
1: It really is. Like, I think that shows you what kind of person he was, you know, that he knew that marrying her was marrying her child, and he wanted yeah. to make sure that, you know, that it was going to be a cohesive union. Yeah. Jennifer was still working as a nurse, often working two different jobs just to make ends meet. Jim was an apprentice electrician, and so he didn't earn a whole lot of money, especially compared to his wife. She was definitely the breadwinner of the family. This may have been something that frustrated her, and she was used to financial stability before. You know, she had made a life for herself, which was pretty stable and she was able to afford her land and her property. And, you know, her husband is not earning quite as much as she is. And, you know, it seemed to be something that upset her.
0: That seems like the case in a lot of marriages though. Money. Money is always a problem. Yep.
1: Jennifer's family said that she publicly, would announce her frustration with being the breadwinner and other things in her marriage that apparently frustrated her as well. Um, one of the things that they said in a couple of the resources that I looked at, and I don't even know how much truth there is to that, but, um, you know, basically that her husband wanted to have intimacy more than she did. I mean, he's a 26 year old man. I would expect that. Yeah. And I mean, okay. I mean, I don't know. I just, I didn't think that that was something.
0: Take it with a grain of salt. Right.
1: I mean, okay. (laughs) But Jim was deeply in love with Jennifer and he would do anything to make their marriage work. Anything. In the summer of 2010, he bought his wife her very own shotgun. Shortly after he gave Jennifer this gift, Jim Nibby was dead. Whoa, whoa. The weapon used to kill Jim Nibby was, in fact, his wife's shotgun.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine you literally bought the weapon that killed you? Yeah. Terrible. Jennifer said she left the gun outside after doing some target practice with Jim the night before. So her story is that this intruder, this getting ready to come into her house, grabs a shotgun from outside. Um, so I don't know how, I don't know. Maybe that's believable. I don't know if that's really that believable. Here's the
0: thing. No gun owner would ever leave their gun outside.
1: With a teenage child in the house.
0: It's not even about having it. It's like, it's even simpler than that. Like you leave a gun outside overnight, it's going to rust. Like there's going to be shit wrong with it. Like, and that's just one from me being in the military and carrying a gun overnight and having to clean the damn thing six different times in one day to make sure that doesn't rust. But any self, like any person that knows anything about hunting or guns knows that you just like, that's like the number one rule you don't leave. Well, besides, you know, the three golden rules, but you don't do anything with a gun. That's going to leave it outside.
1: And by all- By all accounts, she seemed to be a very devoted mom, and I can't imagine that she would just leave a gun out like that. Yeah. You know, and take that safety risk. And then as a nurse, too, like, I well, just and- I can't see her being the kind of person that would just willy-nilly leave a loaded gun. Well, and especially
0: if she was outside shooting with Jim, you know, like, if anything, he would have brought the gun in, too.
1: Yeah, as an you experienced know, like that's, hunter.
0: Especially as... As you know, an experienced hunter, yeah, like you're not just going to leave a gun outside unsecured.
1: Right. It doesn't make much sense to me. In the house, police found very little evidence of a struggle, despite Jennifer's claims that she fought off an intruder. Jennifer had cuts on her legs, which she claimed were from the intruder fighting her. But the police believed that these cuts on her legs were too neat. To be caused during a struggle. And they thought that they were self-inflicted. Because they actually sort of mirrored each other. And so it didn't. You know like if you're in a struggle. They're going to be random. Right. They're not
0: going to be on one thigh. Then the next thigh.
1: Right. I mean they were like too perfect. To be self. Or anything but self-inflicted. Police also noted that it was Rainy and muddy outside the day that jim died however there were no tracks found in the house so if somebody came in from outside there should have been some indication of moisture or mud or something but
0: what you're forgetting is this is the courteous killer
1: (laughs) he wiped his
0: feet he, he wipes his feet he takes his shoes off places them neatly next to the door Make sure there's no mud on him, go wash his hands. And right, well, I, we're assuming it's a he because the person had a ski mask on,
1: right? It just doesn't make sense. No,
0: nothing adds up, you know. This doesn't know. This is okay. Continue.
1: Family and friends of Jim and Jennifer Nibby told authorities that Jim and Jennifer had grown apart and were having marital problems. Jennifer and Jim had financial issues, including a second mortgage on their home for which they were behind in payments. So, significant financial issues if you've got two mortgages that you're falling behind on. yeah. Um, Apparently, there was also some pretty severe credit card debt. Now, we've been doing this long enough that you know that the spouse or significant other is always going to be the first person looked at but particularly when there's financial issues and marital issues that just not looking very good for Jennifer. I mean,
0: and like financial issues, it seems like is the number one motivator in any crime like this, you know, especially when you have a second mortgage and credit, like, and I don't know how much debt there was, but the only thing that comes to my mind is the family guy, Peter Griffin song. I am $30,000 in credit card debt.
1: So, Jennifer's cousin then revealed something interesting. Jennifer had been sending sexually explicit text messages and pictures to another man after she grew bored in her marriage. So, now you have infidelity, too.
0: That's like the trifecta. Right? Like, there's a trifecta. Like, and the whole financial thing. Like, damn it. Like, yes, he was an apprentice electrician. But that's just a, like, that's a stepping stone. Right. Like and I I I hope to God one of our our daughters marries an apprentice electrician because one of those days he's going to be a tradesman or yeah you know like I I don't know what the I know what the next steps all but damn like if you would have just but it it seems like she like it was something she was bored before that you right. know what I'm saying right or pissed off because hey I've got all this. You know, land and shit, and then I get married. Which they didn't. Did they have another kid together? No. So there was nothing. So nothing changed, but you added another person to your house with with another income with an income. I don't care how small or insignificant. Right. It doesn't that, make any sense.
1: Like, if she could afford it before, or him, she should have been able to afford one, it after.
0: Him. One grown man does not equate to having. Okay, continue. Yeah. No. Do we I know, I agree. Do we know whose credit card debt it was?
1: I think it was mostly Jennifer's, and and I'll explain more as we get into it. Okay. Jennifer's family had also noticed that in the months leading up to Jim's death, Jennifer had been losing a lot of weight, like a lot, to the point where she looked sort of sickly. Drugs? The pretty blonde was already thin, but now she looked almost anorexic. It wasn't long before police discovered another of Jennifer Nibby's Dirty Little Secrets. As a licensed nurse, she was abusing prescription pills that she was stealing from her patients. She was also obtaining Tramadol through the mail. She was stealing prescription pads from her job to forge prescriptions for various opiates.
0: So I don't know what's greater than having a trifecta a quad <laughs> Right. I don't know. But now you're like, God damn. Like, and if you're like, we, I hate to say this, but in the nursing profession, we know nurses that have issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it's common, but it's not as uncommon as people we'll would think, think, you know, you know, and, and it it's a slippery slope. But it's a mm-hmm. thing that a lot of nurses do get in trouble for is diversion of, of oh, medications. Yeah. But I mean, like this seems to go beyond diversion. Like she is just
0: it's straight up stealing
1: and she's in over her head. And actually, it was determined that this was the major reason that Jennifer and Jim were broke. Oh, shit. Most of the debt was um, from her buying medications. So, I mean, this is a substantial drug problem. Yeah. Jennifer also had kept a journal. In the journal, she described having an affair with another man. She also described how her husband was a good man, but she did not want to be with him anymore.
0: Then divorce his ass. Right. Jesus Christ. I'm so sick and tired of hearing all these stories of people getting murdered. And, you know, I don't even know if it's her yet or not, but damn, leave him. Just leave. Right. It's not that, like, it's scary, but it's not that hard.
1: Right. The police were able to confirm the affair once Jennifer was under their surveillance. She was caught going into her lover's apartment shortly after the death of her husband. So, they were suspicious, and they were already having her under surveillance and caught her red-handed.
0: God damn. Like, yeah, because that's the, the morning wife. I hope I hope you get a gigolo two days or so after I pass away from <laughs> a horrific death.
1: Jesus. Police then found the insurance policy, of course. I mean, you saw that coming, right?
0: What's a five-fecta? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so just months before Jim's death, just months, Jennifer had taken out a $250,000 life insurance policy on her husband.
0: When people, when I hear this kind of stuff, I want to know is the money, like the insurance policy, would that have been enough to get rid of the second mortgage, get rid of all the credit card debt?
1: I don't know for sure, but I am assuming no, like, based I, off my research. Yeah, I
0: wasn't, I mean, I'm not, this isn't, this was more of a rhetorical question. You know, like it's not just her. How many times have we seen, oh, a month or two, I just took a, a $500,000 insurance pro- policy. Right. Bitch, was it enough to get out of debt at least? Right. <laughs> you know, cause that's what I want. That's what, I. I can see this happening. We do one of these and they, they're like a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt and they take out a $10,000 insurance policy.
1: Right, right. Great, so you made a payment. Exactly. And so now it was really looking like money was the motive for Jim's murder. Jennifer called the day after Jim's death, requesting a payout from the insurance company. So I have something I need to say about this, though, because we've talked about this once or twice before. Yes, it seems suspicious to say like right after you tragically lose your husband, you're calling an insurance company wanting money. However, I will say that a lot of times funeral homes will allow you to sort of plan the services on credit pending your um, life insurance payout, but they ask you to request that payout immediately.
0: Yeah, and I understand that, but.
1: So, I mean, it's, yes, it's, Sort of suspicious, maybe, but we also have to consider the fact that it is possible it is, in some cases. In some cases. And I we're it. gonna talk about that in a minute. But, but
0: this is not a certain case. Right. You know, oh like no, this, I ag-
1: I don't think it this is.
0: This isn't either. this isn't a normal case of hey, grandpa just passed away at ninety-five years old from old age laying in his bed. Right. I need the money. This is, my husband was tragically murdered in my house. Give me money.
1: No, I get it. I get it. I'm just. And I don't think. I just put that. I always put that caveat in because that alone is not enough to say, oh, she's guilty. But we're going to get No, I know you do.
0: But I mean, at this point in time, you would think that maybe a funeral home would be a little bit more. I don't know, like, kind to somebody's family that's murdered. I, you know, I know it sounds weird. I mean, to say I'm that. not
1: saying they're not kind, but I think we also have to remember that a business is a business.
0: I under, I, I completely understand that.
1: So, anyway, Jim's family—they wanted to bury him next to the plot his parents had picked out for the, for themselves. You know, they wanted to keep him close. Jennifer refused. She did not want him buried next to his parents' plot. She insisted on a separate burial plot. She also withheld Jim's belongings from his family, who desperately wanted certain items that had sentimental value, and she absolutely refused.
0: That just sounds like somebody that's going to try to sell shit.
1: It's just weird in general. Like, I mean, even if we're going to assume you know, that we think that she's the suspect. That's still weird. Like, why would you want to put more suspicion upon yourself? I don't know. Jennifer wanted to control the situation without regard to Jim's parents or siblings. According to those who attended the funeral, Jennifer did not shed a single tear.
0: That just looks and sounds suspicious as hell. Right.
1: Right. Police arrested Jennifer Nibby in early September, just a few days after Jim's funeral. While in custody, she admitted that she was addicted to prescription pills. She said that the pressure of keeping the family financially sound was too much stress and that she had turned to pills. She was now taking 100 to 180 pills per day
0: holy shit what kind of pills
1: i think it was mostly tramadol that's insane
0: that's i don't know how your liver is keeping up at that point
1: right i mean that's crazy that is so like i can't even explain how much that is like most people would be dead if they took a fraction of that So she had to have been having this problem a little longer than what she's saying to work up a tolerance like that. You know, because you're not going to be tolerant. She was married to Jim for like two years. You're not going to be tolerant in two years.
0: No, not to. Not to
1: that extent. What's the
0: minimum dose of a tramadol, 25 milligrams? I think so. And like what, like max doses? Is it it 100, 100 or is it just 50?
1: I think they come in fifties, but I know people that take two. So a hundred.
0: Fuck. So at minimum, Jesus Christ, that's a lot of,
1: yeah. I mean, 500 milligrams of tramadol. It's it's
0: 5,000
1: enormous. And so she had to, in my opinion, have this problem probably before she even met him. Right. Because she had to have had this problem a long freaking time. Yeah. And that wasn't all that Jennifer admitted to. She told authorities that, in fact, there had been no intruder. Surprise, surprise, right?
0: Dun, dun, dun. Wah, wah. I mean, we
1: we it, all saw that coming. Yeah,
0: I mean, I need to get a sound effect just for the the sad part, or <laughs> the ones that we know are happening.
1: Right. She admitted To shooting her husband in the head that morning as he lay in their bed sleeping.
0: Get a divorce.
1: It's just, it's sick. It's just disgusting. She admitted to self-inflicting the cuts to her legs as well. So, I mean, there's your premeditation. Yeah. I mean, because she took steps to cover up the crime. Yep. She admitted to staging the crime scene to look like an intruder had been in the home. She told police that Jim was a good man. Jennifer was then charged with murder and faced life in prison without parole. So even in her confession, she's saying that he was a good man and he didn't deserve this.
0: You're just a ruddy bitch.
1: Oh, it gets so much worse. So much worse.
0: Let me guess. She's going to recant and say that, no, there was... In fact, an intruder and play the whole victim game.
1: Actually, no, she's more disgusting than that. Oh, really? Yes. Jennifer made some statements about hearing voices when she committed the crime. After securing a defense attorney, a psychiatric evaluation was requested. Her defense claimed that due to her prescription drug abuse, Jennifer Nibby had no memory of the night Jim died, although she just gave a full confession that matched the evidence. The defense claimed Jennifer was not liable for the crime, but she was found competent to stand trial. Mental health experts said that she was competent at the time of the crime as well. And so with that psychiatric evaluation, she was indicted on first degree murder charges. According to the defense's own therapist, Jennifer Nibby was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. This is where I'm going to tell you that it gets disgusting. As a result of alleged physical and sexual abuse from Jim Nibby.
0: That's always the go-to defense. It seems Although
1: like. she never mentioned that she in never her confession m- when she talked about what a good man he was. Right.
0: And I'm guessing there had never been any marks that caused like caused people to be like, hey, hey, is everything okay at home?
1: Jennifer had never shown signs or told anyone about the alleged abuse until after she was charged with Jim's murder and retained an attorney. Even after she was charged, she didn't make these claims until after she retained an attorney. And she had shared with her cousins about her affair right. and stuff, but never said anything about him being and, abusive.
0: And, and I'm guessing there was nothing in the journal about abuse either.
1: No, not one thing. In fact, when she confessed, like I said, she told police that Jim was a good person. Her journal never mentions any abuse of Jim from Jim. And there's just there's no proof of it. Nothing. The family of Jim Nibby and the prosecution weren't buying these crocodile tears. And nor should they. Like that's disgusting. And this is what I was talking about when I said we're going to get into some victim blaming.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and it's they like, assassinated yeah. this man's character. Yeah.
0: So let's back. Like, let's take a step back, real quick. The first thing, the whole psych evaluation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like we had issues. What was it? The last week's episode we were talking about, or was that the Patreon episode about the the young, kid? Yeah,
1: that was last week's.
0: So once again that was a man that should have been held incompetent and this is another like this is one where i think they got it right like like it's just hit or miss with the whole claiming you know mental competency with as a defense yeah you know and i think everybody does it like just to try to see if if maybe they could get some leniency
1: I mean, if you're a defense attorney and your client's already confessed to the crime and all the evidence points to your client, you got to do something. So first you're going to claim they're crazy. And if that don't work, then you got to make it justifiable homicide. And that's what this attorney did. I mean, like, I'm not going to like downplay them because that's their job. But it's disgusting.
0: Yeah. And so now it's just
1: disgusting what they did.
0: Let's get to the present point. Was the whole sexual and physical abuse, I wonder if that was just a ploy by the defense attorney.
1: Oh, I'm sure it was. Like, oh, well, they didn't say you were crazy, so now we have to come up with a different defense. So, we're going to say it's self-defense. Battered woman syndrome. You know, like, that is one thing I will say, you know, that I think women truly that are abused in a domestic relationship... It's not always taken into proper consideration, but we're almost to the point now where you have to have evidence to back that up. You can't just, I mean, I just, I don't think you should be able to just go into court and make baseless accusations against anyone and try to use that as a defense for murder.
0: No, we shouldn't. Like, that shouldn't be anything. I mean, but as long as there's, spousal murders that's going to be a defense ploy and i hate to say it it sucks but that's just like that's just the way it is
1: right and i mean i know that sometimes that happens and that it's justified yeah because of of ongoing abuse but i just don't believe that that was the situation in this case
0: but it's cases like this that make it so much harder for the real cases right to be seen and heard with a real voice. Right, because you, know?
1: you have people like this that make up bullshit that cannot be supported by any of the evidence. The defense pe- felt, though, that part of Jim Nibby's autopsy did support their claims of abuse because a screening test on the post-mortem showed that Jim Nibby was HIV positive. And so this is really what upsets the family because on the television show they basically sort of toted that as like proof that he wasn't who they thought he was however the medical examiner said that the test is not conclusive it often gives false positives and it's not it wasn't made for as a diagnostic test it was made for like routine screening so that before they do the autopsy they know if you know, this patient's potentially infectious and they could take precautions. So it's not a definitive diagnostic test. This doesn't diagnose him with HIV. It's right. just a screening. And he said there in the medical examiner himself said there's often false positives. I can't say that this, this person has HIV. And
0: guess what? Man's dead. So you couldn't get a real, so you, you really don't know.
1: Right. Exactly. And. What the family said in prosecution as well is that Jim had actually been tested for HIV just two months prior when his wife took out this insurance policy on him. He had to get tested. And so he tested negative for HIV two months before his death. And that was a full diagnostic test, not just the screening test for the postmortem. Right. But here's the defense, throwing this around and assassinating his character saying that he is HIV positive because he's a sexual deviant basically is what they said.
0: Yet you have the person that's being on trial that is a sexual deviant.
1: Right. And if he he raped her, as she says, which I don't believe for a second, wouldn't she be at risk of HIV? Wouldn't there be a pretty Good chance that she would be HIV positive if he was. I mean, I know it's I not a hundred percent,
0: but I don't know. I don't know all the epidemiology for HIV and like the percentage of spread for sexual encounter or anything like that. So I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. But yeah, no, sure. I'm
1: not either. But like, if if he was supposedly HIV positive and he wasn't in June, that would mean that he's recently infected and not under treatment. And he supposedly raping her on a regular basis. I, I don't buy that. Don't buy it at all. Nope. According to Medscape, false positive results to the rapid HIV screening test can result from human error, Epstein-Barr virus infection, even pregnancy, receipt of immune globulin therapy, ure hyperbilirubinemia
0: use them big big adult words
1: jesus autoimmune disorders and a false hiv can even occur if you've had a recent flu vaccine so this is not diagnostic
0: no not at all
1: and the hyperbilirubinemia it that's elevated liver enzymes for those of you who don't speak nurse
0: So if he was a little bit big.
1: Which he wasn't, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe he drank a little bit or something. I don't know. But I mean, maybe he got a flu vaccine. It was August. They start doing flu vaccines in August, you know, or maybe it was just a false positive. But
0: what we're saying is there's hundreds of different reasons why this thing can give a false positive. Right. And it's not a definitive test. Yet this show and the defense, that's the ramrod that they're like... He was a deviant and he abused her and he got AIDS and go fuck yourself. And this is what it is. And that's what's going to be when, in honesty, no, that's not what it is. Right. It's a simple test to freaking, like, just so, like you said, it's just so the coroner can take proper precautions when they do the autopsy.
1: Exactly. That's all it's for. It's not considered sufficient evidence to diagnose an HIV infection the nibby family this was just like another slap in the face to them that jennifer was just attempting to drag jim's name through the mud and in the meantime while she's awaiting trial jennifer's family is still trying diligently to collect the life insurance on her behalf
0: oh go fuck yourself right go fuck yourself as soon as that pol- as soon as she got charged that policy should have been put in a little thing that said Nope.
1: Well, and I, I think mean, it I, was. Her family was just trying over and over and over to get it released.
0: Well, and that's like and that's the fucking I hate money. I hate money so bad because that it, it when people say money is the root of all evil, it fucking is. And it's not having money, it's the lack of. So if you need it and you're trying to get it, they're going to do whatever the fuck they can to get it. And that's like and that pisses me off so much like son of a bitch. Mhm. Like you have this man's family still mourning, and you have a trial that just like they're just starting it, right? But I still want that money, right? Go fuck yourself. How about you? Sell, if you need the money that bad, go sell off all the land that she freak. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, you got two mortgages taken out, so you it's probably getting foreclosed upon,
1: right? Well, and not only that, but with Gen- not only that, but with Jennifer in jail awaiting prosecution. Her family now had control of Jim's belongings and once again was continuing to withhold them from his family at Jennifer's request.
0: Go fuck yourself.
1: Right? I mean, how evil can you be? The man's dead.
0: Yeah. Like, even I'm,
1: if he was this horrible person, who, which I don't believe, but even if he was. Which you said that he wasn't.
0: you She said that he wasn't.
1: I know. But even if he was, okay. Why would you want all his shit then? Let his family have it. Right. You know, you he's horrible, right? You don't Why would you want reminders? Like why are you punishing his family? And that's exactly what they were doing. The prosecution was determined to get a conviction, but they weren't sure how the trial would go given Jennifer's new memories of being abused, although she claimed she couldn't remember the night that Jim died but she could remember all this abuse all of a sudden. And unfortunately in our society, when a woman claims abuse, it's pretty compelling. And I'll be the first to say, we should believe women when they make claims like that, but we should believe women when they make claims and help them get out of a situation. We shouldn't blindly believe them after they've murdered their husband. And there's no evidence to back that shit up.
0: Nope. She didn't murder her husband. She's just been, She's been accused of murdering her husband.
1: Oh, whatever. She admitted to doing it. You but, know.
0: But didn't she know that she was in a psychiatric something or other? While she, like, I guarantee, like, sometime at this point in... They tried getting that confession thrown off because... Oh, oh, I'm sure they did. My lawyer wasn't present. Or you guys kept me for so long. Or yada yada. go fuck yourself. And I'm sorry I'm using the F word a lot this time, guys. Like, it's been a while.
1: But this case is aggravating because it's it just seems so disgusting and inappropriate.
0: Yeah. And that's what it sounds like on my side.
1: But I understand that the pro the prosecution was not sure of their ability to get a conviction and the Nibby family really trusted the prosecutor. And so, you know, they were okay with whatever the prosecutor thought was best. And the prosecution offered Jennifer Nibby a deal. You're dying inside, aren't you, babe? Yeah. The prosecutor agreed to drop the first-degree murder charge if she pled guilty to second-degree murder. Jennifer accepted the deal.
0: Of course she didn't.
1: In July of 2012, nearly two years after Jim was murdered in his own bed, Jennifer Nibby was sentenced to 25 years in prison. This meant she would be eligible for parole in 15 years. So soon? Yeah. She was ordered to utilize her prison earnings to pay for Jim Nibby's funeral expenses, which totaled more than $11,000. However, according to Jim's sister, she has yet to pay a dime towards his services. The sentence didn't seem like enough to the NIMBY family, and they felt manipulated and betrayed. And I'm going to read you a quote from his sister's victim impact statement. Quote, the only tears that you have shed so far have been in court for yourself. You are not sorry that you took Jim's life. You're only sorry that you told investigators he was a wonderful person that didn't deserve what you did to him. End quote.
0: Right on, sister lady. Right? Like, yeah. Like, you're a heartless bitch. Yeah. That just did what you needed to do to get out of a relationship that you didn't want to be in because, what, it was too hard?
1: And she wanted money. And she was addicted to pills. And... Oh. I don't know.
0: Oh, did they ever go after charges for the pills?
1: I have no idea. Oh. Honestly, I have no idea. She lost her nursing license when she was convicted of second-degree murder.
0: I don't care about her nurse. Like if she was stealing narcotics pads and all the shit that they said that she was doing, that's that's got to be some kind of felony.
1: Oh, I'm sure it is, but I'm
0: sorry, she does not need to be getting out in like 15 years.
1: So, I'm going to read you what Jennifer Nibby said at her sentencing hearing. She said, "Quote. I understand the Nibby family not forgiving me. I understand that. I understand the pain that I have caused. I loved my husband. I have protected my husband. I'm not here to damage his reputation or integrity. But I don't care how close you are to somebody. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors." End quote.
0: Go fuck yourself. Oh, my God. I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do this. It's just so hard. But what you guys... What's behind closed doors? You just don't see the, all the abuse. Bullshit. Goddamn. motherfucker! Like, what the hell? Yes, I just used every curse word I know. <sighs> this is some bogus-ass bullshit. Bullshit. Some shit, ch- like... She's just trying to get off like and like, oh, she got off. Scott, like that's a slap in the wrist. Mm -hmm. You shot a man in the head and you got second degree murder. Right. You like this. What this is what pisses me off about our justice system and the, the, the whole making a deal. Like, I understand the prosecutor was like, oh, I don't really know. You have a fucking confession, dude. You have heard saying that, yes, I put the links on my line. Like, that's what, like, what didn't they have? I wonder.
1: I think that they must have been afraid that the jury would buy her abuse claims, especially with the manipulation of the HIV screen. I think that they were afraid of the biases that people have when you hear HIV, which I mean, to be real. It's 2020, but we're still where we were 40 years ago, where people associate HIV with gay men and depravity, and that's not even remotely accurate. But I think that, you know, there there is so much bias that it was a gamble to know what the jury was going to think. I don't necessarily agree with it at all.
0: It's, maybe it's because, like, we have a clue. Right. Maybe maybe that's what my problem is is that I have a clue of what happens in the world. Right. And I don't know and like I I can see like there are some people that don't have a fucking clue about shit besides fuck about what's going on in the world. Right. But damn, like you had the gun, you had the evidence, you had the confession, you had everything and the only thing you're basing your like that like you're worried about is because of an HIV screen that isn't even 100% accurate, and not a diagnostic tool.
1: Well, and I think the prosecution understood that. I think they just weren't sure if the jury would. No, and, that's what and I- Because you have so much bias in this world. And for a minute, let's just pretend that he was HIV positive. That doesn't mean anything. No. She's a known drug abuser who's cheating on her husband. Right. Who's to say she didn't give it to him. Like that doesn't prove anything about him. Even if he was HIV positive, that doesn't prove anything. anything. It doesn't approve that he or, you know, it doesn't prove that he abused her or anything else, but we live in a world where unfortunately people's opinions are based off ignorance and you, you have to kind of predict what 12 random people are going to think. Right. So I don't know. I, I don't like it. I think she got away with, Murder. She basically,
0: got, she got away scot free. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, you got a what a twenty five year sentence. Yeah, eligible for parole in fifteen. So that's what twenty twenty seven is when she'll be eligible for parole.
1: Uh we'll get there. Uh the Nibby family has developed a memorial scholarship in Jim's name entitled the James Nibby Outstanding Character Award Scholarship, which is provided to a student at. Lake Crystal Welcome Memorial High School every year. They have fought to have legislation passed called Jim's Law that protects families of victims of homicide when they are killed by the spouse. Basically, what this law does is it ensures that the family of the victim has the right to the victim's property, something the Nibby family says Jennifer instructed her family to keep from them. So now there is a law that will help future. Victims'
0: families. A, a very small silver lining,
1: right? Um, according to Jim's sister, they just recently this year received the guest book from Jim's funeral from her, Jennifer's family.
0: She kept the fucking guest book.
1: She kept everything. They're still want. There's still things that they're wanting that they'll probably never get. Jim's father passed away in September 2011, just a year after he lost his son and before the case went to trial. He never received the property of Jim's that he had wanted, nor did he get to see justice be served. As a healthcare professional, I can attest that grief can have disastrous consequences on a person's physical health. I've seen it. And The Nibby family truly believes that Jim died of a broken, Jim's father died of a broken heart following Jim's death.
0: That's so shitty. Yep.
1: The Nibby family asked the cemetery board to allow Jim's parents to change their plot so that they could be laid to rest near their son. Jim's father was buried next to Jim.
0: That's a small Like, I'm glad that happened.
1: It's bullshit, though, that they had to go before the cemetery board because Jennifer wouldn't allow Jim to be buried next to his parents. So his parents had to change their burial plots to get like, it's just disgusting to me. Like, it it just seems like she was hell bent on making things as hard for that family as she possibly could.
0: It sounds like she still is.
1: It goes beyond just murdering him. You know, it's just look, it's gross. Jennifer Nibby was not an abused wife suffering from psychological distress. She was a woman who was frustrated in her marriage and had dug herself into a hole that she could not get out of with addiction. Jennifer had been having an affair, sending explicit text messages and nude photos to another man. She had always been seen as a successful person and she didn't want to risk damaging that reputation or her career. Jim Nibby was executed in his sleep by the woman he loved the most at age 26. I mean, 26, that's, that's young. Yeah, it is. He didn't get a chance to do anything. He never had a chance to become a father. He never had a chance to build his career. He never even had a chance to enjoy his adult life. And everybody that knew him said that not only was he a great husband to her, but he was a great stepfather to her son. Jennifer stole Jim's life and future and inflicted unimaginable pain on those who loved him. Jennifer is eligible to be paroled in August of 2027. That's five years from now. Yep. At that time, she'll be 50 years old. She has yet to express a single ounce of remorse for her actions and still claims that they're justified. They're not. No. Like, it's it's insane. So that's what she looks like now. Okay. And I'll show you some pictures. Um, that is Jennifer and Jim together. Okay. Very nice looking all-American couple. And there's Jim.
0: Yep. And that's just like an all-American, like, country boy. Yeah, That's what it looked like.
1: This story bothers me so much on the television show that I watched. I think they were trying to be neutral. But Jennifer's dad was on there and basically was like going on and on about how Jim raped his daughter and all these different things. And like, I just don't believe it. I'm sorry, but I don't. I don't believe it. That was a smokescreen created by an attorney, not even by Jennifer, nope. by her attorney, yeah, by the attorney to try to get her off. And it worked. I mean, she didn't get acquitted, but she got a much less sentence than what she deserved.
0: She's still going to be able to have a life.
1: She needed to be in prison for the rest of her life without a possibility of parole, but her defense attorney. And I mean, whatever, he guess he was just doing his job, but
0: I mean, I guess we can say kudos to the defense attorney for
1: shame on her though, for allowing
0: that kind of shit to happen.
1: Exactly. You know, not only did you murder this man, but then you allowed his reputation and, his memory to be tainted by these freaking lies. Like you could have been a person of integrity and care about more than just saving yourself.
0: After you knew you had done it too. Right. After you, like after you could have confessed, yes, I did this. He was a good person. He didn't deserve it. If you would have just been like, what do I get? Johnny, tell me what my sentence is. That's what, that's what it should have been.
1: Yep. But in the world we live in, defense attorneys doing their job. And I guess he did a decent job at his job, but unfortunately, I think that this was a case of victim blaming that's just horrendous and disgusting. And I completely understand why the Nibby family is so upset. Yep. And they have every right to be. I hope for Jennifer's sake that. She is a reformed person, but I don't believe that she is. She's not shown any remorse. So, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. And I guess she'll be eligible for parole in five years.
0: Go fuck yourself.
1: If you guys want to see the pictures and the list of references for this case, visit us at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. Like and follow us on Facebook. We also have a Patreon supporter exclusive episode coming out in a few days. If you guys want to be a Patreon, head on over to our Patreon page. You can get there from our Facebook page or our website. And we are looking for two more Patreon supporters. And if we get those before the end of the month, we are going to release some special content. Now, that being said, for those of you who are not Patreons yet, we released um, some very exclusive content uh, earlier this week about um one of our past cases and i don't know if you guys remember the case murder and roses where we talked about ryan parker do you remember that babe
0: yeah that was the killer in the flower shop right
1: yeah so he was in the movie store in sparta and his he asked the employee if she liked a movie that his recent ex-girlfriend liked and she said yes so he shot her in the head And then he went to get the roses that she liked from a florist in Granite City. And he didn't have the right color. So he shot him in the head. And it was just like very mysterious as to what the hell happened and why he would do these things. The girlfriend that had recently broke up with him, the one who liked that movie and those roses, she wrote to me. She sent me an email and gave me basically her story. She wishes to remain anonymous, which I respected, but I did share her story in her words.
0: It's a very good read.
1: And that is on our Patreon um, exclusive page. So if you guys would like to read that, really consider becoming a Patreon, that alone to me would be worth the $1 a month that you have to be to at minimum to be a Patreon. So you'll also have access to all of our Patreon exclusive episodes. And we are also nearing very close to 100,000 downloads. When we get there, I'm going to release a previous Patreon only episode to the general public. Yep.
0: All right. Well, I guess We are going to sign off for now. Um, Yeah, I guess we'll see you guys next week.
1: Bye.